Jody Vance in for Mike on this very busy Friday. A couple programming notes here for you. Uh, just under an hour from now, we will uh, be carrying the live presser from Abbotsford as the mayor from Abbotsford, uh, Henry Braun, will give us an update from there at 11.30. We have the BC flood response presser uh, scheduled at 12.30. Environment Canada has uh, their briefing on incoming weather systems at 5.30. This evening, uh, Premier John Horgan and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will hold a press briefing as well. We got to unpack all of this and and much, much more with our Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief. Of course, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry on the line. Hey, Keith. Good morning, Jody. How are we going to get to everything today? My goodness, there's so much going on. Where to begin? Let's go Trudeau and Abbotsford. Yeah, so he's going to be meeting and doing a flyover of Abbotsford with Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, uh, Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun, and local First Nations leaders uh, to just observe the devastation there and sort of bring some moral support, one assumes, was what Prime Minister Prime Ministerial visits are supposed to do. Then he's coming over here uh, and meeting with um, uh, BC Premier John Horgan, who, even though he's undergoing uh, radiation treatment, continues to come to work, and he will be meeting there at 4.30, and they'll do a live, or they'll be doing a news conference of sorts at 5.30 here at the legislature. So uh, a busy day for the Prime Minister and, um, and other officials. We're going to keep our eyes peeled on that and, of course, locked on to your coverage, as uh, always, on uh, Global BC this afternoon and evening. Uh, let's uh, get into some of the controversies surrounding the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yesterday, uh, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming, as well as uh, Public Safety Minister and, and Deputy Premier um, Mike Farnworth, were, were being peppered with questions about, you know, the reopening of the Coquihalla and what have you, and, and and the impacts of Trans Mountain. And then Transportation Minister Fleming uh, was asked specifically about fuel supplies and and how help is on the way in, in various forms. Have a listen to, to Minister Fleming. Barging of, of uh, refined fuel from the United States. And uh, now that we have rail connection, we expect uh, activity there. So barging from the U.S. sounds like an extreme measure when there was the hope that Trans Mountain was going to be primed and ready to go by today. So where are we at with that? So the barging of fuel was always on the table. Um, That was expected, uh, and that does happen from time to time. It's just been increased in in amount. Trans Mountain yesterday put out a very curious statement, which was similar to the statement for the day before. They had issued a statement last week. They hoped to open the pipeline by the end of this week, which one assumes is today. And the statement yesterday seemed to hedge that uh, and suggesting there was more work to be done before this opens. Uh, So it leaves open the possibility that the 10 days of gas rationing announced by uh, Public Safety Minister Farnworth uh, last a few days ago may be extended until this pipeline is up and running, and that we may still be a little ways away from that. Uh, we're hoping Trans Mountain clarifies the situation. Uh, they're throwing all sorts of equipment and, and manpower into this and ensuring that it opens uh, safely 
and effectively. Uh, but once it does open, it's going to need some work. It has to be, you know, flush out uh, the pipeline. Then you have to start, you know, moving the fuel. It doesn't move at light, you know, lightning speed or the speed of light. It takes some time yeah. to come from Alberta through the pipe uh, and then to get to the Parkland refinery. So it may be a little more problematic than what we had been led to understand, and that may delay um, the opening, and that may extend the gas rationing period. I talked to Mike Farmers about this last night. He says it, it is possible that we could uh, extend it past the 10 days that's currently in place. So hopefully people just listen to that and understand that we've, we've kind of settled things down after fuel sales. I, I believe uh, Minister Farnworth said yesterday that they had, you know, doubled for the weekend when the when the 30 liter maximum was first announced, but have calmed down a little bit since. And if if people could just remain calm and just keep it as low as possible and, and just try and do mm-hmm. that in this together piece of the puzzle, we might. Um, well, we're going to make it through. But with with the supports around, as you said, it's difficult to get that heavy machinery to and from these spots, particularly on the Coquihalla to try and repair some of the damage. Let's speak about the, the Coquihalla particularly. Here's Rob Fleming. Minister of Transportation on the Coke. When we do open up, uh, obviously like other highways that have been impacted, it won't be business as usual on the Coquihalla. There will be two segments, each 20 to 30 kilometres in length, where the highway will have to have reduced speeds and only one lane in each direction will be possible. Um, I suppose if there is something fortunate about the Coquihalla damage, it is that the areas that experience the most challenging winter conditions were not as impacted and we will have the same road standard as before the storms. Well, that's some good news there, Keith. But when it comes to the amount of time that will be spent towards reopening on any level, we are looking to early next year, are we not? I mean, the ambitious target right now is the end of January to have it open to commercial vehicles only. So you and I and most people listening right now are not going to be on the Coquihalla for quite some time. This is going to be a commercial vehicle only route for for the foreseeable future, even when it does reopen, if they can meet that end of January uh, deadline or target, uh, maybe even after that. So we're talking, you know, 20 actual 20 different sites along that highway have been destroyed five bridges have been destroyed 130 kilometers according to mr fleming have been affected by this uh, this weather event so it's going to take some time wow. to fix this thing the, just uh, you can forget the coquihalla being part of your transportation network for a long time unless you're a commercial truck driver and there have been issues on Highway 3 today. Uh, there was a vehicle incident and another slide on Highway 3 that closed that. I'm just keeping an eye on Drive mm-hmm. BC and, and checking in on uh, AM 730 traffic to find out the latest on that. There's been no update since it was closed. And that really is the only way, other than the 99 on that super windy, long path north, uh, to get to and from the interior. So we all just need to stay put right now. Uh, don't travel. Possible. Don't, don't travel, travel unless you absolutely have to. Do not do not travel for recreational purposes or go visit your cabin or anything like that. Just stay yeah. put. Get Stay off the highways. Yeah, a lot of people saying, yeah, but we're going to Silver Star. No, no. don't. <laughs> do not. Let's talk about um, specific to COVID-19 now and, and some new data from the BC CDC about COVID in hospitals. What do we know? Yeah, so they've been, uh, we've been pressing the CDC for, since the pandemic began for more data all the time. And they, yeah. they started to produce uh, data associated with long-term care home outbreaks. Now they've posted information 
about acute care hospital outbreaks. So uh, according to the stats yesterday, uh, up until now, and this includes nine active case, uh, nine active outbreaks, but more than 1,600 people um, have got COVID-19 in BC hospitals since the pandemic began. 274 people have died. Those are all patients. Not a single staff person is, uh, even though staff people have got uh, COVID-19, no one has passed away as a result. Uh, the good news is most of these, and you can go to the CDC website and, ch- and check out the report, most, the vast majority of these outbreaks occurred last year or earlier this year. There's relatively fewer um, in, in recent times. As I say, nine active ones right now. The hardest hit hospitals were Burnaby General and uh, Surrey Memorial with, uh, with uh, the most, uh, I think, 187 at Burnaby, 147 people at Surrey Memorial in various outbreaks. I think there were 15 outbreaks at Surrey and 13 at yeah. Burnaby uh, from time to time. Now, hospitals are infectious places. I mean, you do get, um, you know, I've got uh, family members who are doctors who avoid taking their kids to hospitals at almost all costs because that's a place where you can get infections from various yeah. things. And that includes COVID-19 and includes other things as well. So it's no surprise we've got a, a large number of cases in hospitals. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what this means, but other than the fact that the CDC put some data out yesterday and you can read it on their website. We have Jason Tetro, microbiologist Jason Tetro, coming on in about 45 minutes or, or so, about an hour from now, actually, uh, to talk about this new South African variant that will get its um, name, its shortened name, because even I, I'd have to copy and paste the amount of numbers and dashes and periods. B11529 is Okay, B11529. Right okay, good. I can't okay, wait cool. to hear Jason's take on this, because it is interesting this is this is concerning a lot of scientists, infectious disease experts, that this variant is seen as much more problematic potentially than the Delta variant. And it's just emerging out of South Africa. It was in one province in South Africa. It's now being picked up in other places. There's a, a case now in Belgium of a woman who was unvaccinated, who was never in South Africa. It went from Egypt and Turkey. Uh, and has now come down with this uh, variant. It's seen right now, and it's early days, but it's interesting. Uh, you can just see the literature is starting to pile up on this. It's seen as more transmissible than Delta uh, and perhaps uh, affecting vaccinated people stronger than uh, the Delta variant. So there's a lot of nervousness attached to this uh, variant, and we'll just see um, as the research goes what the impact of this variant has. But right now there's a few alarm bells being rung, and it'll be interesting to hear Jason Tetro's take on this. Jody Vance with you on this Friday, Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief, here to answer your questions on pretty much anything you like. 604 280 star 9898 is a free call on your cell. We're lining up people on the phone lines right now. Keith, I did just receive a message uh, uh, from Dr. Barinder Narang, who is uh, Global BC's uh, physician mm-hmm. expert. Um, and he just put out there that the new variant has been referred to as Omicron, 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 and has been classified as a variant of concern as a VOC by the World Health Organization. Uh, Variants now are a result of global vaccine inequity, he says, already seen in Europe, Israel and Hong Kong, so likely is already in other parts of the world as well. More to come, as I mentioned, in about one hour's time with microbiologist Jason Tetro will be uh, joining us with the very latest on this. Uh, Keith, there was a question actually on the buzz line uh, from a listener uh, that Sarah Hyde just passed 
passed along to me. Uh, this listener says he lives in a senior's apartment, not long-term care, but elders living independently. And they have a painter in the lobby not wearing a mask. Does he need to fe- be uh, anxious about that? He feels unsafe. Should he be? Well, the issue of masks in common areas in condos, elevators, and lobbies has been really kind of a murky situation for some time. I've been asked about this a number of times, and it's it's unclear to me what exactly the rule is for something like that. I mean, my understanding would be that you would be required to wear a mask because it is an indoor space, and it's a common area of people. So, But in terms of what should he be worried about that, um, I wouldn't be overly concerned about something like that. It's uh, Again, it's preferable that you wear a mask. I work at the B.C. legislature. You're, you're supposed to wear a mask if you're in the legislature. There is the occasional time when someone's not wearing a mask, and the best advice, I think, is don't freak out all the time or be aggressive right. or anything like that. Uh, always take precautions to regard your own health. And if you, if you are concerned about something like that, then avoid that person. But uh, yeah. right now, uh, again, common areas in condominiums seems to vary from, the rules seem to vary from condo to condo. So don't linger in that space would probably be a good piece of no. advice. Let's get to the phone line. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell phone. We start with Dale in Kamloops. Welcome to the show, Dale. What's your question for Keith? Hi, can you hear me okay? Can yep. indeed. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm double-vaxxed with Pfizer. Um, I know in all my research before getting it, I know we can still carry it, transmit it. It's much less than the non-vaxxed people that aren't, aren't vaccinated. With this new variance, um, and when I watch TV now, they show the cases. I haven't heard lately, uh, like, how many in hospital are non-vaxxed versus vaccinated. Um, I guess my question is, and it was early, but this new variance, um, uh, being double vaxxed, um, my protection rate is still good or not as good anymore? Or? Yeah, so it's, it's early days on this variant. Uh, there is concern that uh, the vaccines may not be as effective on this variant as, as they are in uh, the Delta or other uh, variants. But again, we haven't got established evidence yet. Uh, which shows definitively how um, how powerful this variant is. South Africa, where this emerged, has a 25% vaccination rate. So very low vaccine rates in Africa, where this thing is starting to come out. It is showing up uh, in Europe now. Again, the case in Belgium was an unvaccinated woman. So it's early days in terms of evidence of what the impact of vaccines are against this. On terms of hospitalizations, it consistently it's about 70 to 75 percent of the hospitalizations in BC are unvaccinated people. Uh, in ICUs, which are the most severe form of illness, so these are people on, on ventilators and artificial breathing machines, it's about 85 to 90 percent of the people in ICUs on any given day are unvaccinated people, which again shows the, the need to be vaccinated if you want to avoid the worst form of this illness. But we are, everybody's starting to track this variant and trying to collect evidence, real world data on exactly what this variant means in terms of vaccines. Keith Baldry, it was a pleasure. Thank you for right, this. Ready? We'll talk again soon. Have a great weekend. You too.